Let us pray. We ask you to silence in us, O God, any voice but your own. We ask you to speak your word to us, your word of truth, your word of power, your word of grace, that by hearing we might respond in faith. For Christ's sake, amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is the transfiguration account from the gospel according to Matthew, the first nine verses of the 17th chapter. Let us hear God's word. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, six or seven years ago, The letters WWJD took on gigantic popularity. Do you remember WWJD? What would Jesus do? Bumper stickers, t-shirts, and millions and millions of these little rubber bracelets all dotted the land with those four letters, WWJD. It's an interesting question. When it was first posited, it was intended to be a simple question. In the face of complex issues, human sexuality, choice, economics, gun violence, let's just cut through it all and ask what Jesus would do. Vegetarian and vegan versions of the question asked, what would Jesus eat? Proponents of hybrid cars asked, what would Jesus drive? Which kind of made the point. Simple to some really meant simplistic. That is, Jesus would do what you would do, eat what you eat, drive what you drive, vote for who you vote for, and so on and so on and so on, and not the other way around. That is to say, we wanted Jesus to confirm our behavior, not to change and form our behavior around his ethics and values. 
Now, we shouldn't be surprised that our understandings of Jesus reflect our own perspectives and experiences. That doesn't mean we throw the question out as biased or simplistic or cynical. It's still an interesting question. Maybe it's a helpful question. Maybe it's even a faithful question. But in order to be faithful, WWJD needs to be asked differently. And it needs to be preceded by other questions. Which Jesus? Why Jesus? And this morning's, who is Jesus? What do you think of when you think of Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Now, this is not a question to which I am quite ready to say there are absolutely no wrong answers. But it's certainly a question that allows for some very broad parameters. Our hymns, for example, they are all over the place on this one, from softly and tenderly Jesus is calling, to all hail the power of Jesus' name and everything in between. So is that two different Jesuses, or is it two interpretations or aspects of the same Jesus? Which echoes, of course, the biblical experience, the narrative around him, where we encounter Jesus comforting people and welcoming the children and casting out demons and turning over the tables. In his really fascinating book called American Jesus, the scholar Stephen Prothero writes that Jesus has an American history. To hold him up to the mirror of American culture is to conduct a Rorschach test of ever-changing national sensibilities. What Americans have seen in him has been an expression of their own hopes and fears, a reflection not simply of some holy other divinity, but also of themselves and their nation. Perhaps when I asked you what do you think of when you think of Jesus, you went back to that famous Sunday school picture of Jesus looking very Anglo, staring off into the distance. Prothero describes at least four Jesuses in American cultural understanding. Enlightened sage, sweet savior, manly redeemer, superstar. Perhaps one of those typologies reflects your own understanding, perhaps not. Perhaps when you consider the question, You've read what some have done because of their understanding of Jesus. An action taken, something done in Jesus' name, and because you've been so disturbed by that response that you've simply dismissed the question, or maybe even dismissed Jesus. Perhaps you've pondered yourself questions about Jesus. Whatever you might have been taught as a child so contradicts what you believe as an adult, you say to yourself, that you simply dismiss the question out of hand. And I, I really do understand both of those responses, and yet, and yet I am suggesting we not shy away from that question, WWJD, and its preceding one, who is Jesus? Because these can be transformative questions and worth the deep dive. 
Yet at the same time, I would never tell you what to believe, just as the best of our tradition would never tell you to turn off your mind when thinking about faith. So that is to say, in asking all these important questions, let's not accept easy answers or cliches. Let's not accept what others tell us. Let's be mindful of all the factors that give shape to our own answers, the things we need to unmask and unpack. Let's not accept all or nothing answers. Let's be willing to live with nuance and complexity and paradox and mystery. Read the words of that gorgeous first hymn we sang. Notice the contradictory images when the Bible lifts up images of Jesus. So all of this is simply an invitation. An invitation to look again with eyes wide open, with life experiences and cultural expectations fully considered at who Jesus is and why he matters and how, perhaps in asking the question, you might be answered, aided in answering what you would do as you live your life. Now, I know it can seem like a circular argument to ask what the Bible says about Jesus when asking these things, but I would much rather start with the Bible, our reading of it, rather than relying on the interpretations of others. So we look at this morning's gospel passage. Lynette has reminded us it's Transfiguration Sunday, the last Sunday before the Lenten season begins. It's called Transfiguration. What happens to Jesus? And what happens is so otherworldly, we're not quite sure what to make of it, but here's the story. Jesus ascends a mountain with three of his disciples, and then something happens. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all describe it just a little bit differently. In Matthew's version, Jesus' face shines. His clothing becomes dazzling white. And then like that, an appearance by Moses and Elijah, two of the great figures of the tradition, and Peter, I think kind of representing all of us, offers a rather ridiculous response. We'll kind of let that pass this morning. And then a, a bright cloud appears and a voice booms out, not unlike the booming voice at Jesus' baptism. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And then if we didn't get the point, the voice tells us, listen to him. Listen to him. The disciples were scared to death, rightly so. And then like that, it's over. Just like that, except for the part where as they are descending the mountain, Jesus curiously swears his disciples to secrecy about the whole event. But what do we make of all this? Clearly the Gospels want us to understand the primacy of Jesus. A beloved son, pleasing to God, no one else can fill that role. So just as we are told to listen to him, we need to listen to that voice. Consider seriously what that voice says. And we also must consider seriously who appears on that mountain. What a friend of mine once described as a kind of divine senior level staff meeting. 
Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Moses is the leader, the architect of the Exodus, the one to whom God gave the law at Sinai. So we are to understand at least that the law matters. But so do the prophets in the form of Elijah, the prophetic word that continually calls the people back to the law. These are big questions. Does Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? Does he supplant them? Because we have been eyewitnesses to all of this through the disciples' experience, how are we to understand? You know, we want to. We want to have this discussion with Jesus. But he shoots down further conversation. The law matters. I've been re-watching The West Wing recently and happened across a confrontation between President Bartlett and a conservative radio host. Maybe you remember the episode. Now, mind you, this was more than a decade back. The discourse has changed in so many ways. Nonetheless, the president, who knows his Bible and who demonstrates a rigorous Catholic piety, makes the case for taking the law seriously, if not literally. To ask the questions, what are the values of community that form the people? What are the fundamental ethics that prevent us from running roughshod over each other? How does the law given to Moses at Sinai play itself out in the life of the community and in respect and in honor and in dignity? especially then and now to all of God's beloved children who live on the fringes of the community. And when Moses appears with Jesus on the mountain, that seems to me to say that Jesus is calling us to double down on those values, that Jesus' very life lives out those communal values by the people he welcomes, by those with whom he shares meals, by those who he heals, by those for whom he dies. And Elijah, the prophet, profiting, being a prophet, is tough business. Time and time again, the prophet tells the people, and especially the people in power, where they have gone astray. Now, king doesn't want to hear this. A highly placed religious bureaucrat doesn't want to hear this. Yet the prophetic drumbeat persists. Justice and mercy and righteousness and reconciliation. Profiting is a tough business. It will get Jesus killed. And when Elijah appears with Jesus on the mountain, that seems to me to say that Jesus calls us to double down on our prophetic commitments to speak truth and to do justice. That will mean different things to different ones of us in different settings and times, but it will never, ever mean that we turn our backs or our faith on the culture and the world. Now, I understand the impulse of WWJD. 
It seeks clarity and simplicity in an increasingly complex world. So let's ask that question. Let's definitely ask it, but let's beware of the easy answers. And I've thought of a better question. WWWDBOWJI. It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> what would we do because of who Jesus is? Not so much what would Jesus do in some abstract, simplistic sense, but what would we do because of who Jesus is? How does Jesus call us to faithfulness and to prophetic living? What happens when we encounter Jesus at the top of the mountain? And even more importantly than that, how will we live our lives when we come down the mountain? What would we do because of who he is, this prophet and priest and king, this beloved one, holy and human, to whom we are called to listen. What would we do? Amen.